0: Welcome to the SOAR Community Network Podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose and let us SOAR together Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of A Podcast. Today, we have Michael Bronte. He is a novelist. He has been doing uh, this for many, many years, and today we're going to spend some time with him so he can share with us the inspirations around writing novels, writing in general, inspirations that really cater to fiction writing, and beyond. Today, we want to welcome you, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: So as I read your bio, I am was very intrigued because you had mentioned that as a young teenager, you remember reading paperbacks of mysteries, and it was under this huge oak tree outside your parents' neighborhood a grocery store, I think you mentioned. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's fascinating because so many of us, as we're growing up, have... Things that we remember, whether it's reading under the oak tree or writing poetry in my case or mm-hmm. what have you. But what inspires a teenager to pursue, because we have so many interests when we're uh, coming of age, to pursue, in your case, writing to the level where now you have written many, multiple books and continuing to love it.
1: Well, the reading it started with the reading, and uh, you know the the whole neighborhood store situation was one where if you can envision Mayberry in your head, I literally grew up in that type of town, and we'd sit there and wait for customers to come in and ring the little bell uh, when the door opened. And while while I was waiting to serve customers, I just used to grab these little paperback novels, and I don't think my mother ever liked the fact that I grabbed those those uh, uh, adult type you know books because. They weren't they weren't children's books by any means, but I I uh, I got into reading and and just got hooked on the mysteries and how the how the author was able to weave s- seemingly a-, a hundred different unconnected details and have them all come together at the end of the book, and it just interested interested me on in how how he did that, um, and I always thought that writing was just an interesting uh, phenomenon and and and. Uh, was always intrigued in how authors put together a story. So I guess it just developed naturally. I I don't, I didn't really didn't go out of my way to develop that as a talent, but I didn't exercise that talent until probably 25 or 30 years after those days that I just described, because I didn't start writing really writing novels until the mid nineties. So it was, it was, it laid dormant for quite a while. The interest did at least. Well, what,
0: what, brought it back to life was there an instant a moment were you bored were you inspired what happened that just huh i should probably consider writing a book well two or three or four or five
1: (laughs) well truth be told i i i hooked up with a guy who owned an advertising agency on the eastern shore of maryland and he used to have radio he used to produce radio commercials and uh i don't quite remember how i hooked up with him but i started writing radio copy for this fella. and uh, he lived on the eastern shore of Maryland, and I lived in Fairfax, Virginia. And he said, uh, well, mailing these things back, this was basically before the days of laptops and 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 computers were just starting to come on uh, on the scene. So in order for us to uh, communicate properly, he bought me a little Mac computer and it had and it had a uh, and I had never used a computer before, a, la- a desktop computer and uh, he said here learn how to how to uh, use this uh word processing program and when you write a piece of radio copy you can uh it can it can fax it had a built-in fax machine and we started exchanging radio copy that way but i had never used a uh word processing program before so he said learn how to so when he gave it to me and said learn how to use this i said well what the heck am i going to write <laughs> and and lo and behold, after you know, learning how to, uh, uh, how to use the, the program, I said, well, let me write this little story. And I wrote a chapter of it, and then I wrote two chapters of it, and then I three chapters of it. And then after a while, I showed it to my wife. I said, what do you think of this? She says, this is really interesting, sweetheart. And, of course, she was probably just telling me that because she wanted to get me out of her hair, I guess. <laughs> um, but I, I wrote it, and, uh, you know, lo and behold, five or six months later, I had this story. And uh, I think I probably got hooked right right there at that at that point so it took five or six months to for the hook to sink in but that's I think that's how it developed
0: so did that particular story ever get published?
1: That story is now the novel that's out there called porch Ball
0: great
1: and uh, it, I dare say that the finished product that's out there now is probably nothing. <laughs> 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 nothing nothing like the original product that i that I wrote, but yes, it did develop, and it is out there.
0: well, it leads me into the next question then, because you know one thing that really intrigues me about a writer is the work is never done when it comes to aspiring to be the best writer you could possibly be, and when you look back uh, at that first story, again, comparing it to your Current work, as well as other authors and writers out there, you know, what have you learned about yourself as a writer, looking back from where you started to where you are today?
1: Uh, boy, that's a complex question. Yes, well, it
0: is. I'm sorry.
1: Well, that's okay. Um, <laughs> I think I think I think one of the most important things is less is more. Um, okay. I personally uh, tended, or probably still tend, to overwrite. Meaning when I go in to describe a scene, uh, rather than try to describe that scene with if two sentences or three sentences are adequate, I might write six. And you, you, as an author, when you look back on it and do your editing, you find yourself saying the same thing three different ways. And that's just not necessary. It's over detailed and it frankly bores the reader. So I, I learned that after a while by going back six months after I wrote something and Looking at, it, I said, "What what the heck was I thinking when I wrote this? This is way too much. So less is more." Uh, but beyond that, there's two two aspects to to writing novels. The first one being that you have to make sure that your plot works. I mean, I look at TV shows and books all the time, and I'm constantly going through and saying, "Well, why is that part of the story? It doesn't work with the rest of the with the rest of what's going on in this." and, and it doesn't. Work with what where the story is leading to whatever particular climax that is. So you have to make sure your plot line works. But beyond that, you have to be you have to be good technically. You know, sentence structure, punctuation, spelling, uh, proper use of commas and semicolons and colons, uh, uh, proper indentation. Needless to say, proper spelling. And you'd be surprised of how much stuff is out there. That is just terrible technically, and uh, that that drives me crazy. If you're going to be in the craft, you have to you have to be sure that you're doing that correctly at least.
0: Now, your that's interesting statement you you made because a lot of the creativity that that's required to be a good storyteller um, sometimes foregoes the technical piece. But what you're saying is, in terms of writing a really solid novel, you have to be able to blend both imagination, uh, coming up with very uh, creative ways to describe a scene, develop the character, and use language that's at the same time ethereal and cool and interesting and dynamic, but really practical, realistic, and making sure that the technical piece is in there. Now, when you have worked on these different novels, I know that we talked about this uh, even before this interview, you and I sat down, and we talked about how does, how does the mind of a novelist work? You know, what process does it take to actually make sure that the scenes do make sense, that the plots also have some sense of, uh, of order to evoke all the emotions that need to be there for the reader?
1: Well, you have to know where you're going. Um, whenever you start a scene or whenever you start a sequel, you have to know where that particular tidbit in the book is going in a, in a in a in a novel as with the length that I write there there might be I don't know sixty or seventy scenes in a book and each one of them generally has one sometimes two sequels so you can imagine how many sections there are no in, in a in in the whole story but not only do you know what you want to, what you want to accomplish in a particular scene what you want the end of that scene to be what kind of conflict you want to develop or what kind of conflict resolution you want to develop, but you have to know where you're going in the entire book. From the very first page that that you write, whether it's a prologue or the actual first chapter, I already know in my head what I want the climax, what I want the end of the book to look like, what I want to accomplish in that book, what the final scene needs to be, what I want it to be. So it's just a question of entering in all of the Seemingly disconnected scenes, because I'm I'm one of those types of writers where chapter one is is one picture in the reader's mind, but chapter two may have nothing to do with chapter one initially, and chapter three may not have nothing to have to do with chapter two. It may have to do with chapter one, or it may be a third element entirely. So the re- as the reader goes along, the, the 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 challenge is to take all of these disconnected scenes, these disconnected details, these disconnected happenings, and have them come together at the end of the book. So unless you know where you're going, and what that last final few pages looks like, um, it amounts to a bunch of, well, frankly, just blithering on paper, and (laughs) (laughs) it becomes rather pointless. And that's when when the reader will tell you, the story isn't working, or I'm bored with it, or where the heck is this going? I don't see the relevance. And they put the book down. They don't complete it.
0: So Michael, I do have a question then. Have you ever had a situation when you're in the middle of writing a novel and then midstream you decide, oh, my original idea for the ending is is not, it, I've, I've come up with a new concept. I've come up with a new idea. Midstream, have you had to just kind of do that kind of you know pause and, and pivot? Or do you stick to your committed vision of what the book will, will look like and will end up doing at
1: the end? Uh, I've had both situations. Um, sometimes when you're writing a piece of dialogue, uh, you're writing through the particular character's eyes, whether it be first person or third person, but you're writing from a particular character's point of view. And as you're writing the scene, you, I find myself kind of immersed in another personality, so to speak. And I'll, and I'll be writing a piece of dialogue, and all of a sudden the character, even though I'm doing the writing, all of a sudden the character will say something that leads me away from the from the original intent, that leads me away from what I wanted to accomplish in that particular scene, or in a bigger way, where, where the story is going in total. So if it's good writing, if I, and if I like it, I, ha- I have to kind of decide if I want to go in that direction— and if it's really that powerful and that significant, then I have to decide if I have to alter all of the scenes I've already written uh, or if I have to alter the rest of the book, depending on where in the story that particular uh, uh, leading off the trail, wherever that particular episode happens, whether how I get let let, let off the, uh, the, the, the plot line, uh, if I decide that that piece of dialogue is that important or that significant or that good that it leads me off the plot line then i have to adjust everything else i've i've written or everything else i'm going to read sometimes i do that i've done that but that's labor intensive because you've really got to go back and read everything you've written before to make sure that that particular piece of the plot works with what you've already written if that's too much work or not that significant then i'll throw away that piece of dialogue that let me that led me off the plot line and i'll have to rewrite that particular few pages or page or maybe it could be just a couple of sentences. Um, so it's a decision you have to make from a quality point of view.
0: Sounds like a lot of work. Takes a while. <laughs> I think it's fascinating to, to uh talk to someone like you who writes novels and and fiction because, you know, when you have a story that is real and you can check facts and data, and not to say that obviously fiction books also do a lot of that, right, research, but I would say when I wrote my um, memoir, at least I knew I can go to my journals or I can do interviews and I can kind of get centered when I would go off the beaten path. But there's a totally different experience that happens with fiction because you really, your imagination can take you anywhere. And I can imagine that it's very exciting, and I don't know for you whether it's frustrating or not or maybe it's situational, um, to come back from all the possibilities and pick something, pick one.
1: No, I don't go through that process. Okay. I, as as I said before, um, while... I have a thousand possibilities in my head before I start writing. Once I put, uh, once I put some words down on paper, I generally have an idea of where I'm, where that story is going. I I don't, you've
0: you've got it mapped out in your head already. I've got
1: it in my, I've got it in my head. I've Mm -hmm. got that. I've got it literally in my head. And, um, and I kind of follow that. I kind of follow that scent, so to speak. It's like a dog following a, a hound dog <laughs> following a following a raccoon. <laughs> uh, so I don't have the other possibilities swimming through my head that that throw chaos into what I've already written, unless it's that situation where I'm writing that piece of dialogue that where the character leads me off off plot, um, and that might happen six or eight times during the course of a story. Uh, so I don't know if that's uh, analogous to what you're describing or not, but uh, in terms of possibilities, um, my family always gives me a good idea of what the possibilities should be. Because when I come up with something, they'll say, no, that's that's a stupid idea. You don't want to do that. (laughs) That's
0: what family's for. Well, I'm gonna okay. take a take a moment now and and talk about your the books that you already have out there and published. What you know, share share them with us. Um, and then what makes them similar and what makes them different? I and mean, you have multiple books, so it's not just one or two that we're talking about. I mean, you've you've got um, I think it's now is this the fifth one, this last one, or is it the fourth one? I've lost count uh, when I was doing research that's, here.
1: That's the uh, the fifth. That was the fifth. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm probably going to release a sixth. Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, probably, I, I I would say within the next ninety days, if I can, I've got another one, another manuscript written, but I, I've been wrestling with myself for two or three, uh, quite a while now, uh, wondering if the story was good enough and interesting enough, and I'm really wrestling with that because I don't want to put something out there that's not, li- doesn't live up to what I determined to be my own quality level. Then I've got an idea for a seventh that, uh, that I'm pretty sure I'm going to write this year. Um, and then beyond that, we'll see.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I know that you have um, presidential is out there, presidential risk, uh, the 10th right. caller, uh, porch ball, the dealership, right. and the one that's currently – Um, out there, that's Lost Friday. I know that people can look you up on microbronte.com, but can we talk a little bit about Lost Friday? Because I really think that this is a, a fun twist. Um, what can you share to entice people to go on your website and learn a little bit more about this particular book and then learn more about the other books? Of course, what do you love about Lost Friday as, as, as the author, um, who put all these little pieces together to make this such a fun concept?
1: Well, um, Lost Friday is the story of uh, this fictional town that I created called Sea Beach, New Jersey. And the the first uh, the the prologue and the first chapter all all lead to all. Uh, the the hook is set in the very first uh, prologue and first chapter, where the, the setting is that it's a Thursday. It's a Thursday, and uh, Sea Beach, New Jersey, is this sleepy little Jersey shore town. And, uh, you know, in the summertime, there's 50,000 people in the town and they're all partiers and beachgoers. but in the off season, it's only 3000 people. And it, you know, all the, all the tackle shops are shut up, shut down and everybody moseys around and, you know, leads the quiet life during the winter time. So if you can imagine that setting, the entire town of sea beach, New Jersey, uh, just runs there. Everybody in the town is runs around and, and does their normal Thursday activities they go to work they come home they have a meal have a steak watch a little football and they and then they go to bed you know uh, and the setting and the, the story takes place in uh, late September so it's football season so they may watch a little football but the next morning everybody goes up and they go back to go back to work and they go back to school but it's not Friday it's Saturday so the entire town, all of the citizens of the entire town of Sea Beach, New Jersey, and only the citizens of Sea Beach, New Jersey, lose an entire day. Wow! So, so the reader is going, well, what the hell happened to Saturday? What the hell happened to Friday? Hence, the title, Lost Friday. And the the storyline has to do with futuristic terrorists come back in time, travel back in time. It's kind of a it's a it's it's not a science fiction novel in terms of fantasy or Star Trekky kind of thing, but it it does involve the concept of time travel. So I guess it's kind of science fiction. <laughs> but the storyline involves futuristic terrorists come back in in uh, in time, and they're there to kidnap one specific citizen of Sea Beach, New mm-hmm. Jersey, who happens to be at that point in history a high school a high school student. He's the quarterback of the, the high school football team. And the reason that they want to kidnap him is because he eventually turns out to be the physicist. He becomes a physicist. He eventually turns out to be the physicist that proves the mathematical formula that the phenomenon of time travel is possible. So if, if you can follow that mouthful. Of stuff. Okay. <laughs> there and the reason that they wanted they want him is because in the future, the phenomenon of time travel becomes a huge geopolitical weapon that the the, whatever entity or, or power controls the phenom- phenomenon of time travel can b- travel back in time and affect history, elections, historical events, uh, money-producing situations. So it becomes a huge geopolitical weapon in the future. And the terrorist organization obviously wants to control, be the only ones in control of that time travel 250 years from now so to speak.
0: Wow. It sounds like such a, a fun, fun read, but also I'm sure it was a lot of fun to write. You know, I also want would like to spend some time having you share what it's like to be an author and what it means to write your own novels for those that might be listening who have always been interested in publishing their own novels uh, or any type of book, really, um, you know, what it takes. And I'd love for you to share some advice on how to continue moving forward Uh, And getting it done?
1: Um, Well, first of all, you have to be uh, prepared for uh, a lot of rejection. Uh, You know, the publishing industry used to be controlled by publishing houses, and they would uh, work with agents um, because they didn't take submissions directly from authors. So they would work with agents, and the agents would work as the the screening mechanism for uh, aspiring authors out there to say whether something was good or not good, and, and uh, if the publishing houses had full lists, and if the agents had a full uh, roster of clients, then regardless of how good your writing was, you had no chance of ever getting published under that particular system, the way it was working. It was kind of snobby, actually, because I, in my years, I found out that a lot of these agents or a lot of the, the publishing houses really didn't have any idea of whether your writing was good or not. I mean, they, they were, I think, terrible judges. While they could pick out something good, certainly that's how they made their living. There was a lot of good stuff that never got published just because of they ran into that systematized uh, uh, structure. However, with the advent of uh, on-demand publishing and self-publishing and uh, publish-on-demand, which is going on now, while well, the opposite is happening, there's plenty of opportunities for authors to put their work out there. But because it's so easy to put your work out there, there's a lot of junk writing that's out there as well. That's not very good. So it's uh, you, you, there's rejection on both sides uh, from traditional publishers and agents, and if you put your work out there yourself and you're not very good, you're going to get rejected by the readers and your reviews aren't going to be very good. So if you're going to be an aspiring author, I think you need to be prepared for the hard truth and because uh, you're really putting yourself out there. You're putting your, your personality out there. You're putting your work out there. Uh, and you have, to, you have to be able to stick with it. Um, the other part of that is you have to be convinced that your work is good. If you can't stand up for yourself and... Do some self-analysis and really admit to yourself what, when something is not good, then you have no business being an author. You should should not get into writing. It's putting a piece of your soul out there is really what it is.
0: Those are some great points. Thank you, Michael. That makes a, a, a big difference to hear it from someone who's lived through it and uh, still found a way to publish so many books and really proud of your work and, and learned how to stand up for for your work as well. And I think the readers can sense that and enjoy all the um, dynamic publications that you've shared with us today. Now, I want to ask one last question before having you share how people can learn more about your books and you, is really, to, who were your who were your idols or role models as writers? And uh, are there any particular ones that come to mind that were really um, prevalent to you? Or were you just really reading a lot of different things and took inspiration from all different types of, of writers and authors?
1: Um, you know, none of my stories are real serious, kind of, uh, um, how do I say this? Uh, real serious uh, novels. My books are just entertainment, beach books, if you will. Uh, all of my authors are just common people who by through no doings of their own run into these fantastic situations and they all have to rise to the occasion to become the, the heroes at the end of the book. So I don't I don't think any of this is, is uh, uh, I don't take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I just do it for entertainment. So it, they're just entertainment novels is what they are. And, uh, and one of the people who writes with that kind of style, this happy go lucky, non-serious kind of style is Nelson DeMille. And I really like his style of writing. And uh, so I, I, I kind of emulated a lot of that. And then I, I threw in a lot of techniques that I think Tom Clancy uses in terms of how detailed he gets in his descriptions and uh, how to make a setting realistic. So those two guys kind of stand out off the top of my head. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I, I never really followed anybody else's style specifically. Uh, I kind of developed my own that's my own great. my own language and my own uh, personality through the books so i i didn't get really overly inspired by one or two people but everybody has an effect <coughs> Excuse me.
0: I really do like that point, though, because especially what you mentioned earlier with the market being so saturated, uh, with the opportunity now for so many of us to publish our own our own books and and get it out there, uh, you know, being able to have your own unique style without sacrificing quality, I think, is also very critical with the saturated market like this. So I think that was a great point. Well, Michael, how can people find your books? I know it's listed on several different um, platforms and, and places that they can go, but where can they find more um, information or purchase your books and then learn more about you?
1: Well, uh, I'm available, uh, on several places. You can go on Amazon, of course. Uh, you can, and there's a hard, you can purchase hard copies through Amazon uh, there's also Kindle versions available through Amazon. Uh, I am on Smashwords. If you uh, are into ebooks, which, uh, if you uh, have iPads or uh, handheld devices, you can get the ebook formats, which are Moby and EPUB and PDF formats on Smashwords. I'm also listed on Goodreads, uh, which is a uh, reader site. Uh, and there's. And there's, I don't know how many millions of members of Goodreads, 20, 20 million, I think, of uh, dedicated readers. So there's discussions on there, book clubs, recommendations, all kinds of things on Goodreads. And all of those are their own independent website. So if you will on Smashwords, it's www.smashwords.com, etc. And my last name is B-R-O-N-T-E. And then, of course, you can go on uh, www.michaelbronte.com. And descriptions uh, for the books and links to purchase the books are uh, all there also.
0: That's great.
1: Uh, So any of those, just pop any of those up on your computer and you can go anywhere you want.
0: That's great. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Listeners, uh, please, if you want to get a hold of Michael for any book clubs or book signing discussions, uh, he would like to entertain those, please give him a uh, an email reach or go to his website, but his email address is Bronte at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for spending the time with us and sharing your great insights about the world of publishing and, and, and being your own, you know, leader in, advocating for your own gifts and stories and talents. It's really important that people feel that they have the opportunity to put some powerful messages um, and inspirations and imaginations that's born within them, release that out into the world. So I appreciate your courage to do that and uh, your time spent with us and sharing your insights with uh, the SOAR Community Network.
1: Well, I think uh, think two words that you just mentioned there are, are, are important. One is courage to put yourself out there and the other one is dedication yeah you got to stay with it uh it takes 20 years to be an overnight sensation so uh (laughs) if you go into it that kind of outlook uh you 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 might have a chance of making something out of it
0: right and have fun along the way have fun explore develop so thank you again i really appreciate it thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode and we really appreciate you for always choosing to be a part of the soar community network see you next time Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.